pre-recorded. She always does a great job. She's getting really <laughs> she's getting really good at object lessons. As Mariah and I have talked, she said, you know, Pastor Darren, my eventual goal is to become a teacher. She's involved in the education program at Vi Vancouver Island University. And she says, but this job is teaching me so much about kids and how to teach and all that stuff. And I said, you know, you're going to be the best object lesson teacher out there. Uh, so that's neat. Well, I've entitled this week's sermon, Does Death Have the Final Say? Now, you would think kind of this time of year, September 6th, I'd be preaching about, hey, let's start the, the new year. Kids are going back to school. Everyone feels like it's the beginning of something new. Uh, but as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, we have had a tragedy in our community, and uh, we wanted to address that as a church. It felt pretty tone deaf to just kind of march on with what we had previously planned. And so we definitely want to acknowledge the hurt, the pain, the suffering uh, experienced by so many in our community. And uh, if you're watching and you're like, I didn't hear about this, um, the, the short version is there was a horrible hit and run accident on the highway just north of Ladysmith. A woman named Katie Blog uh, lost her life. There's a picture of her and her husband Trevor and their children Harrison and Grace. And uh, members of the uh, air ambulance, paramedics, uh, the helicopter came down and they were on the scene immediately and uh, tried valiantly to, uh, to save Katie's life. And apparently she fought really, really hard. She desperately wanted to live and, and, and be there for her family and her children. So just an awful, tragic, horrible loss. And... Uh, we wanted to take the opportunity this morning to honor Katie's life, to grieve as a community alongside Trevor and Harrison and Grace, and hopefully as well as a church to speak hope and life into the dark, dark moments. So where would I turn in the Bible for a comparable situation? Was there ever a time in the Bible where someone's life is taken while they're still young? They leave left loved ones left behind, full of, of grief and mystified at what God is doing or, or not doing. Well, there is. And it's in the second half of the Bible, in the Gospel of John, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And it's in John chapter 11. So if you have your print Bible, I encourage you to open that to John chapter 11. And the words will also be on the screen. Let's see what God's Word has to say when we go through the valleys, as Sue mentioned. We go through the really horrible, awful times in our lives. John 11, 1 through 21. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus says, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? 
Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, it'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought they meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to comfort Mary and Martha, to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. We see right away in this account that Jesus had these good friends, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. You know, some people don't even picture Jesus as having friends. They, they think he was too holy, too serious to ever just hang out and be friends with. It's not actually true. Several times in the four Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life, we have Jesus showing up at someone's house unexpectedly for lunch and a party happens. Or he's invited out for some other thing and he's surrounded by people. Or he's hanging out with his 12 disciples. Can you imagine three and a half years of walking and talking and preaching and doing miracles? The amount of times those guys sat around a campfire in the evening. So it's not a true picture to think, oh, Jesus was too exclusive to have friends. Not at all. People loved hanging out with Jesus. And apparently, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were some of those. Now, scholars have kind of studied the New Testament and and they figured Jesus' age was around 33 years of age at this point. A little bit give and take, but he's, he's in his early 30s. And we can assume that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus kind of were around that, that age span. People tend to have friends that are somewhat around their own age. Now, Lazarus gets sick. This is tragic. A guy in his 30s isn't supposed to get sick and die. He should recover. She should be young and healthy enough to recover. Mary and Martha know this is extremely sick, serious. He, this is not just a normal sickness. He's, he's terrible. So they get word to Jesus. Now, there wasn't texting in the first century, despite the evidence of this picture. To the contrary, I don't know how an iPhone got in there. but it, So there wasn't texting in the first century, but they obviously sent a messenger with a, a note or a letter or just a verbal message. So someone is sent, they, they let Jesus know. And the point is obvious. Mary and Martha had seen Jesus heal people. They'd seen him do miracles. So they want him to come and heal Lazarus before he dies. Seems like a really kind and compassionate thing to be doing. But Jesus knows that what he is about to do is so important. For the next 2,000 years, this miracle is going to astound readers, just like it is for us this morning. It's also an incredible demonstration of Jesus' true nature, his true power, 
It's like the veil gets taken off for a second, and we get to see his actual, real, incredible power. And thirdly, it's an incredible symbol of why he came. He is about, in a few short weeks after this, he is about to go through his trial, his beatings, his crucifixion, his death, being in the tomb for three days, and then being resurrected to new life. And this miracle is a glimpse. It's like a foreshadowing of what's about to happen. Now, nobody in this situation seems to get what Jesus is doing. Mary and Martha certainly don't get it. It just kind of upsets them and confuses them. Why is he waiting so long? Why isn't he coming right away? Jesus' disciples don't get it. Jesus had been in that region of Bethany uh, just a short while before, and the Jews there had turned on him, and they had picked up rocks. They were going to stone him to death. And Thomas, you know, it's always good to have an optimist in the group. I love that. It's where he says, well, let's just go there and die with him anyways. Like, they, the disciples have no clue what Jesus is up to. Jesus is the only one in this situation who knows what he's doing, and he is doing it for a purpose. He wanted absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind that Lazarus was in fact dead. Four days is definitely long enough. So Jesus finally arrives, and he walks into a scene of, of grieving and mourning. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet with him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You know, essentially Martha is asking the question, Jesus, where were you? In the worst moment of my life when my brother was on death's doorstep, where were you? That's the question that humanity has been asking for the last 2,000 years. Whenever we are hit by tragedy or death or, or just going through the worst circumstances, we tend to look up and go, God, where were you? Jesus, where were you? Why didn't you prevent this from happening? And I'm sure there's many in our community feeling that exact question. God, why, why didn't you prevent that collision that killed Katie Blog? As human beings, we have a very limited viewpoint. We don't see the big picture. We don't see what God in Christ is doing in the midst of such tragedies. Now, there are some really, really important things that we see already in the first part of this passage. Number one, Jesus isn't offended or upset at Martha's question or slash accusation. Jesus is big enough to take it. And the astounding fact is that he actually even loved Lazarus even more than Mary and Martha did. For family and friends of Katie Blood that have a knowledge of God or, or have prayed in their life, they'll be asking such questions. God, why did you allow this? We're going to see in a moment that Martha's sister Mary asked the same question, accusation to Jesus. So to anyone grieving in our community, whether it's from this accident or they too have lost a loved one, reach out to Jesus in prayer. He wants to hear your heartache, your confusion, your questions. He's not offended by them. He, in, <clears throat> excuse me, he invites them. 
And he is definitely not offended when we pour our hearts to him. Second thing that we can really see in this passage, Jesus personally understands sadness and grief. You know, there's so many paintings of Jesus where he's kind of got the golden halo around him, and he sort of often has this very, like, detached look on his face. And it's easy to see why people start to get an image of, well, you know, Jesus, he just kind of walked, you know, 10 feet off the ground. He's a little detached from from the reality of suffering and all the hard things that people go through. But you know what? When you look and you take a sincere look at the life of Jesus and you read the four accounts, the four Gospels, you'll see that right from the moment Jesus was born, he was born as a refugee on, a ru- on the run. His family had to flee. They had a king, you know, Herod, trying to kill baby Jesus. They had to flee to Egypt. They were in a foreign country. They eventually had to come back. This was not an easy beginning. He was born in a, in a stable wasn't born in a palace. And then as Jesus grew up, people have pointed out his dad was a carpenter. He worked in the carpenter shop. And they didn't have power tools in those days. Those images of Jesus where he's super skinny and kind of looks slightly Swedish. Um, nothing wrong with Swedish people. That's amazing. But that's just not where he was. He was in the Middle East. He was in the sun constantly. He was working with power tools. I think Jesus was pretty fit. He was probably pretty buff. And certainly those three and a half years he walked with disciples out under the sun every single day. And as hard as Jesus would have worked in that carpenter shop, he too would have faced the reality, his family would face the reality. As much as you can try to make a living, the Romans would come along and tax you to death. And the Romans had taxes. King Herod as the puppet king had taxes. The temple had taxes. It was oppression layered on oppression. The fact is, There was a foreign power controlling the country. This was not an easy life. Jesus lost a friend, a dear friend in Lazarus. So the idea that Jesus detached from suffering is not true. He personally understands sadness and grief. So it wasn't true 2,000 years ago, and it is not true today. Whenever anyone goes through heartbreak, when everyone goes through tragedy, Jesus understands, he identifies. We can't shake our fist at heaven and go, you don't know what it's like down here. Jesus does. Well, the story doesn't end there. Let's see what Jesus does next. We're going to pick it up in verse 22. Martha says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back, called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up, 
went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. As you read this scene, you can just kind of feel the tension rising, can't you? Mary comes to Jesus and repeats that question, that accusation. Lord, if you, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus' response is amazing. It says, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then the shortest, most poignant two-word verse, Jesus wept. A lot of Bible scholars have come to the conclusion that Jesus is actually expressing two different emotions here. Jesus is grieved and sad that his good friend Lazarus has died. But there's a second deeper emotion going on here as well. Jesus is upset and angry at death itself. Jesus looks around the crowd of mourners, weeping and wailing for the tragic death of this guy in his 30s who should have gone on to a long and healthy life. Jesus looks at the pain of Mary and Martha and the closest family. Jesus looks around at the entire human race. At that point in the first century, people often died in wars. They would often die in plagues and because of, of sickness outbreaks. And people would constantly die in that area of the world by trying to travel. And robbers and thieves uh, would accost them and kill them and steal their stuff as they traveled. All of it was a result of sin and human beings turning their back on God. That is why Jesus came to earth in the first place. Jesus is mere weeks away from completing his mission. He came for the purpose of paying the price for the sin of all humanity, past, present, future, to defeat the three biggest enemies that the human race has, sin, death, and the devil. When Jesus is about to accomplish on the cross, will begin to break the power of even death itself. That is where Jesus makes one of his most astounding and powerful claims. Jesus' interaction with Martha is actually kind of the crux, the, the, the hardcore point of the issue. It's all about faith and what we think Jesus is capable of or not. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mary answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Do you believe this? That's the dividing line. 
That's the dividing line for every single person on earth. Jesus makes the most audacious claim in history, and at the end of it, it comes down to this. Do we actually believe that he is the resurrection and the life? That's a promise, if we believe it, that you and I can base our lives on right here and right now. Jesus is the resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, is buried from the tomb for three days, and then defeats sin, death, and the devil by emerging alive on that first Easter morning, that takes the greatest power in the universe. Resurrection, by the way, is not resuscitation. Resuscitation is a dead body coming back to life, living out the remainder of their years, maybe another 70, 80 years, but then ultimately dying again. Resurrection is different than that. Resurrection is coming back to life in a transformed body, a body that can last for eternity, a body that cannot die again. The only person who's ever experienced that to this point in history is Jesus himself. But the great promise is that when Jesus returns someday, when he comes back and sets this world right, and he is going to resurrect all those that have put their faith in him. That kind of power, resurrection power, is more than adequate to help the problems that you and I go through in life. The astounding claim goes on, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What a promise. When any person puts their full and total trust and hope in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, the one who's going to tell them what to do, the one who has saved them, that person is given the hope of life, true life, that extends even beyond the grave. When we die, our, our spirits get to be in the presence of Jesus until he comes back again, and that glorious day we will be fully resurrected. Jesus offers it to each one of us, but he doesn't force us to follow him. He doesn't force us to believe. He simply puts the question to us, do you believe this? Well, the most astounding and audacious claim in history needs some proof, and that is what Jesus sets out to demonstrate in the final five verses of our passage. Let's pick it up in John 11, verse 39. Take away the stone, he said. The Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. For he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, it's not usual in human history for dead people to walk out of tombs, climb out of cemeteries. Much as zombie movies or Egyptian mummy movies try to entertain us, 
I think we've got a picture of a classic mummy movie from 1942 there. The mummy's tomb. Ooh, that's a, that's a makeup job, eh? Wow, that's scary. Yet here is Jesus, God incarnate, full of holiness, dignity, love, justice. He looks death straight in the face and he says, Lazarus, come out. And sure enough, Lazarus shuffles out of that tomb. It is so many things wrapped up in one moment. It is proof that what Jesus promises, he has the power to do. It is Jesus saying to death, this is the first step. But ultimately, death, you will be done away with. It is a first hint, a first glimpse towards his own resurrection that awaits every follower of Jesus at the end of history when he comes back and sets the world right. Now, we noted that it's not a full resurrection for Lazarus at this point. He's resuscitated. But he would have gone on to live a long and wonderful life. He probably got married, had children of his own. He had all that time with his two sisters. But it isn't ultimately a transformed body that will live for eternity. But one day... Lazarus will get that as well. And so will every other person on planet Earth that has put their full hope and faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in the face of the tragedy of Katie Blog's death that has impacted our, our community and our church, we as a church want to do two things. Number one, we want to offer help and assistance and comfort. I was able to reach out to our mayor, Aaron Stone, who knows the family this week, and I just said, Aaron, could you please pass on? Like, we are so willing as a church. If there's anything they want to do, if they want to use our building for a service or, or any of those things, or maybe in the future when uh, COVID hopefully at some point dies down and, and people are allowed to grieve, if we can be of any assistance, uh, please do that. You know, they started a GoFundMe account for the family. And uh, they want to account for any uh, memorial costs for the family, as well as providing maybe educational bursaries for the kids in the future. And uh, this is incredible. I looked at it last night, and as of last night, our community in, had donated $127,118. Is that not amazing? We live in a pretty great community. So practically, we not need to offer assistance and comfort. But number two, the second role of our church is to speak comfort and truth into the darkness of this situation. I entitled this sermon, Does Death Have the Final Say? And I think we can see, because of Jesus Christ, the answer is no, it does not. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Lazarus, come out of that tomb. Amen?